0: Pastor Andrew Agnew, and you might be thinking, "Oh, we hear from him every week. Why are you getting him on an episode two? I want to hear from others." Um, that's what Andrew said when I asked him as well. But um, I think there's good reasons to have Andrew on. Um, it's really important to know your pastor, and I know he shares a little bit um, week by week in his in his talks. But I, I thought it'd be really good just to hear his story. I read a book, um, which I think everybody should read. I um, it's called. Ev- uh, the book every pastor wants you to read or something like that I'll maybe put a link on at the end and it just says it's really important to know your pastor so um, yeah we'll have a go at getting to know you a bit better uh, this afternoon so let's just get started Andrew thanks for coming thanks for doing this um, so yeah let's just get started your, where you grew up um, a little bit about your background and your introduction to church of christianity
1: yeah, I'm a very typical Northern Irish person where I grew up with church was normal. Everybody was going to church. I was sent to Sunday school, local Presbyterian church, um, parents who would send me along. And so my introduction to Jesus was right at the beginning. I was born in 1972, so I was born right at the beginning of what's called the Troubles. So mixed in with that is what it is to be a Northern Irish kid growing up with some of the worst of um, what Northern Ireland saw during, during Troubles that time. Yeah. Yeah,
0: I I think uh, I was in the news when I was growing up. Um, what, What are some of the things that really you remember about that that strike you that now looking back and it might have been normal at the time and now you think what that was ridiculous you know
1: it's such an easy question to answer because we've talked to our kids as we go over to Northern Ireland and we let them experience what Northern Ireland is every summer with seeing grandparents we talk about some of the things that we grew up with that now don't exist anymore like when you walked into a shop you had to open up your backpack open up your bag and there would have been a security guard checking to see if there was anything a gun or something yeah. in it so that was normal and, and um, I remember Carol even sharing about coming over to Edinburgh and walked into Wilkie's just in Prince's Street and opened up her bag to security guard and the security guard looks at her and goes what are you doing and it was just so instilled into yeah. us that that's what you did on, it's not
0: that long ago not
1: at all and also police and uh, uh, army people walking around the roads with guns I mean I would go and visit friends um, when I was um able to drive at 17. Going and visit visiting friends was a normal thing in a car because everybody lived all over the place, everybody bussed into school. But when you did that, if you got stopped, you always had to have your driver's license because the army would stop you and ask you where you were going. Now, they probably were looking at my name and thought, yeah, they were able to check databases, whatever, and they knew that um, there was nothing wrong. But I had friends who were Catholics who would have been there, searched, everything searched and everything opened up. Whereas, you know, I would have told my friends, who had gone to catholic schools oh goodness you know we just sit and have a laugh for 15 minutes and then we drive on if there aren't mm. any other cars such a different experience yeah. for us so,
0: so your school was protestant only you say a catholic school yeah
1: the, in northern ireland you have um you do have the segregation although every school is open to whoever wants to go to them and so every school it just it, it does carry with it this traditionally is a school that Catholics would go to this tradition is a school that Protestants okay. would go to but Catholic schools teach Catholic religion in them which meant that most Protestants wouldn't send their kids okay. to that kind of a school so how, you'
0: Catholic friends which would fairly unusual actually yeah um, so, I mean, how did you make, so how did you make sense of that then growing up
1: Well. It was the example of my parents. My parents okay. were part of a golf club in Dungannon Town and so they had friends that were from across the divide, if you want to call it that. And so we hung out with their kids. Um, so really we were never allowed to, to be disparaging against somebody okay. from the other side of the community. And. So that was really deeply instilled into me. So if anybody from primary school had said anything, and I said, no, that's wrong, you shouldn't say that, then I was called a Fenian lover, mm. which is like a really disparaging word yeah. for somebody from the Catholic tradition. So I think I was very aware growing up that it, I felt a real privilege to know people that other yeah. people didn't know, and almost to, to hang out. To. And I was part of an orchestra too on a Saturday morning, and most of my friends in the orchestra were from Catholic schools yeah. around the Uri area, and so, it was, in a way, it was like a really cool other life, yeah. that other friends that you could have that you just knew yeah. you were safe with and everything. And I had. think that
0: helps with kind of outlooks,
1: totally. totally. When, you,
0: when you move to different places as totally. well, when you've yeah. had that. Totally. I think as a Christian, uh, it can be quite odd sometimes looking at cultures like that. I, I kind of see a bit of similarities with South Amer- uh, southern states in America. You're very Christian places, like yeah. Northern Ireland was. Yeah and like southern states isn't there'll be other examples probably uh, the UK um, generations previously when there's a lot of good things and it's a Christian country like but yet you see things that are so inherently wrong really how
1: do you make how do you make sense of that well do you know I think Obviously, growing up in a church, and I became a Christian John when I was pretty young. I know I've probably shared that in front of the church loads of time. I was about nine, ten, maybe 11 at the latest. But I do remember making a conscious choice to follow Jesus. So I think not knowing the deeper elements of our theology or Catholic theology, all I knew was they seemed to put far too much importance on Mary for my comfort. Um, but apart from that, it seemed, what, what, I didn't, wasn't quite sure what the big differences were. They followed the Pope and we didn't follow the Pope, and they did confession to a priest, but we didn't. We just did confession straight to Jesus. So in a way, I wasn't quite sure of all the major differences between us growing up, but at the same time, they were people. yeah, And they were people that I just knew, these are my friends, and I just felt that privilege of knowing people that, um, that were very different from me, or would have different experiences from me. I was really glad of that. Yeah. Um, I'm yeah. not quite sure how else to answer that question because making yeah, sense of I it, don't it know, was. I, think I hated I think, the killing. So, so
0: the only thing I'm just thinking of because I grew up in Glasgow until okay. I was ten, and you had the Rangers, Celtic. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I guess it's just odd that because you, they didn't seem like they were Christians, but they used Chris, they, they use Christianity as yeah. a total excuse, and I, I ended up, uh, I ended up supporting Rangers. Then I almost grew embarrassed by that. I didn't want people to think I was a, I was a um, Rangers fan, that's, oh no, I'm a Protestant so I'm a Rangers yeah, fan or vice yeah, versa. Right. And it's just, it's just, um, and I guess it's similar. You're, you're almost embarrassed. Yeah, I hate it. it. I really hated it. I'm and it takes to it away from the real message of the gospel. Well, exactly, um, exactly. I, and yeah, so I think that's just, I think it, it, it uh, but then I mean, when you know people from Northern, so you kind of have that vision of, of uh, almost negative views of Protestant, Christianity yeah. in Northern Ireland, from what you see in the news, but then when you actually meet people from Northern Ireland, it's not, it's, it's so, so far away from what it's portrayed. You see people who are real, love people, love the gospel, love Jesus, and you just don't know where it, how it gets to where it
1: gets. Well I think it's because you had to fight against what was being instilled into you. Yeah. So at home, it was very easy for me to just love everybody, but at school, it was harder because like, say for example, you were going to school and somebody in the year above you, somebody from your year, their dad had been killed by the IRA because they were army reservists. Yeah. So you constantly confronted, or there was a bomb, you know, I remember walking up to the gate to pick up milk. I remember walking up to the gate to pick up milk <laughs> it was about maybe nine o'clock in the evening, eight o'clock in the evening, a bomb goes off or I'm leaving the empties up to the gate, mm. a bomb goes off and the noise is like of nothing I've ever heard. I sprint down to the house and of course, you know, ha- within half an hour the news is an update that there's been wow. a bomb in my hometown wow. and my bomb was the most bombed town outside of Belfast. So a lot of tension in the town I grew up. So I think it was constantly having to fight against yeah, what absolutely. was kind of culturally being instilled into yeah. hatred and fear so you've got
0: all that going on but you're in a great church yeah, yeah and yeah. so just tell us a little bit about how you came to
1: faith um i had it shown to me in the lives the faces and the speech of people at the church i had sunday school teachers who it was so obvious they loved jesus mm when they sang about it, when they talked about it in children's church and Sunday school and not just one Sunday school class. I mean, I can't pinpoint one teacher, just so many different teachers, but on a Sunday morning, they smiled. They mm. just told us all of these amazing things. We sang songs. We had just joy. That was amazing. Then when I took communion, um, my minister, I had to have an interview, interview with my minister. And I remember, I just loved listening to him. He just loved the youth of the church. He wanted us to be, you know, not just dressing with shirts and ties, because that's how we all did go to church. He was like, oh no, wear those cool shorts to church, Andrew, this Sunday. I want to see people's faces. And he was trying to move the church out of the very traditional mold that it had. But there was just a real, just a real um, fun and realistic attitude. And then we started having assistant ministers And they just were so on fire Mm. for gospel and for Jesus. And they started youth groups where they really started inputting into us and encouraging us to serve. And and so actually it was, I just feel that for for a church in just any old normal town in Northern Ireland, God was really moving and really, really giving us opportunities to learn and to grow and serve. So it was good. And then of course in school, you know, in the school, in our senior scripture union in school in fifth and sixth year we maybe had 40 or 50 kids and then an intermediate sco- uh, SU which I led when I was in sixth year we probably had about 50 kids and then in junior SU you probably yeah. had about 70 kids it was so, so normal part of every part of your life massive really part yeah. so you had friends that were in different churches all over the place and denominations were quite you know you kind of felt as though we're, we're better than you and the denominational thing was a bit of a nonsense but actually you just had good friends. And so you went to the youth group in the church that was just really good. And so for a time it was my church, for a time it was the Church of Ireland, for the time it was the Methodist, great leaders all over the place. There was no excuse to not really actually think, yeah, Jesus is worth following. And here's a group of people who love to follow Jesus. Let's learn. It was easy. Yeah, easy.
0: So that, but it's great to have that environment where at that age, where you can learn, where you can, See other people's faith. Totally, it's really important, and I think we've seen from other people's testimonies in our church how important that is. Yeah, real enthusiastic faith. That, um, so you've got that, and then you leave. You leave Northern Ireland. Things change. Totally. Tell us what. Where did, you, where
1: did you go? I went to New Zealand for a year. I got a scholarship from our school to take a gap year and finish my A levels. I had a guaranteed place to study in London after that took a gap year went to New Zealand. There were two of us from our school went and in the school that we went to in Auckland in New Zealand, there were four of us from the UK who were boarding tutors. So we helped with boarding duties and we also helped in the PE department and helped with the first and second years in the school. Okay. There were no primary, it was all secondary school. So we were really busy while we were out there. Four kids, head on the to the other side of the world. You don't have your massive support structure of school and Christian friends, you're writing letters because the internet doesn't exist and email doesn't exist and phone calls cost a fortune and so, you know, you're, you're writing letters constantly to friends at home, you are trying to discover a new life for yourself. You've got a year and you want to, be, you want to make friends, but it's a very difficult different culture in New Zealand. It's nowhere near the Christian culture mm. of Northern Ireland, so I tried going to church I would go Sundays without going to church and so I really drifted and okay. of course within the group that I was with all these young people all kind of left school and um, all university or running jobs and working in the school just fell in with the, the crowd of what they were doing and kind of went along with that probably I mean,
0: nice good people
1: but yeah but just stupid mistakes yeah. you know doing things that I look back and really wish that I'd never done messing around with drink and parties just stupid things and you know, God really taught me a lesson while I was there because I had drifted so far uh, away from church and hardly ever opened my Bible. I brought my Bible with me. You know, Bible really knows with me, but hardly ever opening up a Bible. I've been travelling around South Island and on, on, during the Christmas holidays, where they have two months—that's their summer holidays, of course—in the Southern Hemisphere. Travelling around, I'm on a bus heading from this month of traveling by myself back up to Auckland, there's a girl sitting beside me on the bus and she's reading the Bible. And she's about the same age as me, I guess. And I'm looking at her thinking, oh, I feel so rebuked. And I just said, I can't believe you're reading the Bible. And she says, why? Do you, do you read the Bible? And I said, I'm a Christian and I've really fallen away. I really feel terrible. And she's like, well, have you found a church? No, I, I, really, I haven't settled on when I've tried a couple, but you don't know people. It's hard to make friends and there aren't as many young people. And, you know excuse 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 and she said I already pray for you that you find a place and so she did and she was back visiting about a month later and she said let's meet up have you found a church no I haven't found a church and she's like oh listen let's pray while we were praying this sounds already good it's not gonna be a good thing we're praying somebody walks up to us and says hi um, I'm a Christian I just wanted to, to, to share my faith with you Oh, no way, we're just praying that I would find a church. Oh, I'd love you to come along to my church. Well, it was a cult. See it? A cult. It's a cult. How do I know it's a cult? Because I'm invited along to Bible study after Bible study. During these Bible studies, they ask me all these questions about what the Bible means. I'm answering it all. They're going, Yeah, well, you, it doesn't mean you're a Christian, though. And it was when they started saying, The church you went to is not Christian. You think that mm. you're a Christian, but you're not Christian. Unless you're baptized in our church, you're not a Christian. So we are going to set you a task now that if you, you have to come to every Bible study this week, everything we invite you to this week, and at the end of this week, we're going to baptize you and then you're a Christian and then you're part of our church. And it was called the International Church of Jesus Christ. And it was, it was the, the most frightening thing, just thinking, this is wrong. They can't say that people that I've known aren't Christians just because it's not their church. Yeah. So I went to a teacher in the school who went to a Presbyterian church in New Zealand, a good church, and, but it was way the other end of the city where it was really impossible for me to go to. And, and I said to him, I'm in a pickle and I don't know what to do. And I really feel like I've let God down here. But this is what's happened. He phoned up a friend who ran a Christian radio station in Auckland who said, get him out now, he is in such danger, He, they will right. remove him from the school, they will they will heavy shepherd him, they will manipulate his life, you've got to get him away. So he was like, Angie, you've got to cut ties with these people, you've got to phone them and say you're not going to see them anymore, mm-hmm. I'm afraid you're in real danger. So I made this phone call where I had people shouting down the phone at me saying, the devil's got you and oh my goodness, I can't, we knew this would happen. And if you don't keep going, then the devil's got you and you're just the devil's child. I'm 18 years old, I've never cried as much in my whole life. (laughs) So that was really tough because I didn't have a close Christian friend. I mean, yeah, there was that teacher in the school who would helped me, but that was alone, without my support network couldn't tell anybody at home, couldn't tell my parents, couldn't tell my friends that were there because they were just like, what on earth is the matter with you? That was tough. Yeah, and wow. I came back from New Zealand rebuked. I, I went to a local church while I was there that had some youth and it was a little Brethren, Open Brethren church and they were great. They were really helpful, yeah. but it was a year off. Okay, I can't wait to get away and get back to Northern Ireland. And I mean, I love New Zealand, it's a gorgeous country. couldn't wait for a Christian family. Yeah, Yeah, tough, tough. So you came back to the summer and then you went Came back and then went went and studied architecture. It was okay, didn't really love it, really wanted to be an actor. I was going to All Souls Langham Place and just felt, it was a good, brilliant church, amazing teaching, phenomenal music. I mean, it was the most fantastic place to be, but just felt like, look, I'm studying something that I'm not really passionate about. I wanna act. And it was, my brother had, had come to Edinburgh. He was studying physiotherapy. He dropped out of his first university course, changed course. I was studying architecture, dropped out. He's in Edinburgh saying, come to Edinburgh. There's a drama school here. It's called Creed Margaret College. I found a brilliant church. I've become a Christian. I, come, just come. And my and brother, did. well, we did, I did. <laughs> my brother and I weren't amazingly close, but we became not just brothers, but like best friends okay. during that time. And I came up here, went to a church here called Corubbers, everybody knows him, everybody yeah. knows of Corubbers, and I just found a Christian community that I could really get involved with, where I really grew, where it was just so confirming to me of, of where I'd come from and how God moves and just, I felt like it was a jigsaw puzzle, where I had lots of bits, mm-hmm. but in Corubbers they taught through a Bible, book by book, and they taught themes and all of a sudden the jigsaw mm-hmm. made more sense. It was just filling in the gaps of my childhood teaching. So do you
0: think that's, I know you, you love doctrine, you, you like love reading it. different yeah. um views, yeah. Um do you think that's where it really, your interest sparked? Yeah. Or do you think it was New Zealand where you are like, wait a minute, I need to get this no. myself sorted out here. Yeah.
1: No, because I, it wasn't until I got to Karubas that I realised that people could have different views on the same things and yet still be really good Christian brothers and sisters yeah. and go to the same church. Yeah. Whereas in Northern Ireland, no, if you disagree, then you go to a different church. yeah Carabbers, it was like, no, you think that, I think this, but actually that's not a big issue. The big issue is the gospel. The big issue is how you get saved. The big, big issue is what the Bible is. The big issue is God. Okay, whether Jesus is gonna return then or then, okay. whether. God created the world. world this way or that way. Okay. Whether, you know, it wasn't yeah. such a major you thing. Do, he, and, and I was going to speak about this later, but we might
0: as well speak about it now. Your, your doctrine, you, you have a real interest in it. Totally. You, you know, a lot, uh, having discussions with you, you know, all the different views. One of your biggest skills, I don't know if you'll take this as a compliment. I think it's a biggest skill. You remain, you remain, you're, you're your, your very strong on the gospel. Yeah. You don't move there's no um yeah you're very it is what it is no compromise uh but other doctrines which you might people might argue about um i could name a few you're very careful about um not pinning yourself
1: to one is that fair it might be <laughs> although i do have <laughs> is that is, deliberate um no the, um the this is really hard to answer I think it's because my respect for people who have done doctorates and who lecture in different um, Bible colleges and seminaries, they're so convinced by, by the way that they've interpreted the Bible to be, and I want to find out more, and yet there are times when I feel, but I love this person and I see their point, but I see this and I feel that, that, I feel that that's more faithful and true but I don't want to diss this person mm-hmm. because they've added so much yeah. to what Christianity is in this world. And so I think there are certain topics that I've avoided in church. And we're potentially going to come up and we with all, one in Thessalonians. We are. But yeah. Before Christmas, we'll be dealing with one that, it's just, it's Jesus coming again and yeah. it's timings and we've just got to go for it. And, and also we've got to be, I think we've got to remain open that there are certain things that are just really hard to understand. Yeah. And it's interesting that um, Peter in Second Peter, he's writing to Christians who are dispersed all over the place. This is a letter that's gonna be read all over the place. And he even says, there are things that Paul writes in the scriptures that are hard to understand. Yeah praise the Lord there's mm. an apostle you know somebody who's led the church saying you know what there are things that are just really hard mm. to understand and you know I was I was reading it just in a, um, a quiet time this morning about head coverings listen mm. damn, damn, yeah let me tell you that's so hard because I'm reading it going I know what I've been taught and yet I see brilliant Christian people who've come to a different conclusion and I love them but you know what it doesn't affect whether we can have fellowship yeah. and so I might walk carefully. No, um, and I think I think it's really admirable, and I think we are in
0: a church like Crubbers, I guess where we we have people from all different yeah. all different backgrounds and, and views probably. Yeah. And I think, uh, yeah. It's, it's I self- mean, you love doctrine. I love <laughs> doctrine. But I, I I do love doctrine. I do I'm not as well read as you. I'm probably I, I probably stick to one particular viewpoint. So I need to get I need to read a bit more well. widely, but uh, it's tough. Maybe in time. Yeah, yeah, we could have proper debate rather than, rather than just me telling you what I think. <laughs> okay, so where are we? And uh, you've come at Crubber's, yeah. but you're acting as well. Oh, yeah, acting, acting must be, uh, to me, it would seem very difficult. It, there's a lot of, um, it's about yourself, yeah. self-promotion, Yeah, it was really competitive. Totally how did you but you at the same time your your christian walk you're you're much closer to god so than your much, yeah so how, how 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 do you how do you deal
1: with that right well that's where we, we actually drama school was very good for this because drama school was already telling us look you have values and you should be able as an actor to say no to things so say you are a really politically active then you're not gonna do uh, an advert or, or something that is gonna help a cause that you don't believe in. So actually they we're instilling that into us. So it was very easy for me as a Christian to go, yeah, well, I'm not gonna do something that's gonna involve a sex scene, or I'm not gonna do something that's gonna involve me swearing my head off and doing something. But you know, it it can sanitise these things so much. And eventually, you know, I I did a show where I I had to um, murder somebody, kill, shoot them Mm -hmm. every day. I had to shoot this person. It was called the Great Gatsby and I had to shoot Gatsby every day in a show. Like, that's not good. (laughs) You know, okay, well, I'm not swearing. I don't have a sex scene, but I'm shooting somebody and killing them. It's so hard to know um, how to do that. And actually I did struggle over time thinking, should I be doing this? You know, if I'm, If I'm packing my bags and if I'm following jobs around everywhere, am I selling my soul? And then eventually it was just, I was in London. I was doing a a show in Hampstead, um, the New End Theatre in Hampstead, which is a traditional fringe venue of London. It's not the West End. It's kind of the next tier down doing a show there it was my big opportunity to invite agents along. And I did, and I had all these agents coming along. I had lots of good offers from agents. What was, the, what was, was the show? It's Great Gatsby. Okay, great Gatsby. Great. Yeah. Um, which considering there are car chases, you think, how on earth can you do a, a stage show on the Great, <laughs> oh, Gatsby. great Gatsby? It is brilliant. Great. I had agents. I'm phoning my brother. I'm saying I'm telling my brother all these things that are happening. My brother turns around, my best friend, my brother turns around and he says, Andrew, Do you talk about Jesus anymore? Because all you seem to do is talk about you and agents. It was a knife to my heart that I knew I needed. I loved my brother even more for daring to tell me the truth. Mm. I was turning into a monster, a monster that was just consumed with how well I was doing and what opportunities were opening up for me. And I knew I had to get out because I knew that all I was going to do is deteriorate. I wasn't going to handle this well. I just it was about me, 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 me. Yeah, 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 God. And I was going on to a great church I had great friends at um, East London Tabernacle, a, a, a kind of a Baptist church in, in my land in London. So I just knew at that moment I needed out. I knew that God had allowed me to look and have a wee go at things, but it was just unfulfilling. And actually I knew that what I wanted to do was to do what God wanted me to do. So I was like, right, I need to get away from London. I need to get back up to Edinburgh, back up to Corroberts, back up to good folks, friends. Every time I was in trouble, Edinburgh people always contacted first. It was like, yeah, I need to, I need to get back up there. God, you've got me where you want me. And actually, I haven't, I haven't mentioned this when I was talking about, um, being at Dingham Presbyterian Church, but when we prayed for missionaries, I would be like, Mm-mm, no way, no God, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to be a missionary for you. Cause I just even knew way back then what God was calling me to that. And it's such a strange thing that I suppressed for so long. Back up to Edinburgh, back up to Grubbers, meet Carol. Carol and I end up spending all this time together because of, Bob Ferguson, who's now deceased, um, he'd become a Christian, and I wanted to kind of catch his fire. and All of a sudden, I'm in Corubbers. I'm doing a conversion course to get a degree so that I can apply to teaching college, I get accepted for teaching college, and I'm here, I'm in Edinburgh again, I'm training to be a teacher, but I'm, I'm st- still thinking, yeah, but it's not because I want to be a teacher, it's because I want to go and be a missionary, maybe this will be useful. And Carol and I marry, and lo and behold, this Bob Ferguson says, do you know, there's a girl's come to share about Mexico and street kids. I think that the pair of you should lead a team. So we did, and we led a team over to Mexico. Uh, We were six months married. We chose a team, took them over to Mexico for a month. We worked with a chap in Mexico. We took night classes to try to learn Spanish. There was the girl who had shared at Carrobras, who used to go to Carrobras. She was our translator. And yeah, God just totally showed us, yeah, this is what I want you to do. I want you to help this work. So we come back over, we're working, I'm still teaching. Carol's working for the blood Transfusion Service. We're always thinking, how can we get back over? God opens the door. While we're in Mexico, we meet this guy from OMS, um, One Mission Society. He's from Northern Ireland. Carol's parents support him as a missionary church. We go to visit his work. He says, I'm wanting to do a work with street kids. I'd love to meet the guy that you're working with keep in touch. We do. Three years later, we're applying to go with them and start a work with Street Kids with OMS in Mexico City. We had brushed up on our Spanish. We continued to take lessons in faith that God would open up a door one day. Did you speak Spanish at all before? Never learned at school, never learned at school. No, no, it was just to to go to Mexico. we just loved it yeah. and while we were there we had to take lessons as well but we just flew yeah. with the stuff we, we so enjoyed it. and because we had to speak Spanish every day because nobody spoke English she just had to speak in Spanish yeah. and that was tough but that that was us in Mexico we so worked with street kids on and off for six years yeah it's gonna be hard going and it was tough because um the thing is working with street kids is it sounds I mean, I think, I, I think if I were to interview about your life, I would be so interested in what you're doing, and that sounds so amazing. You know, you've lived here, you've lived there, you've lived everywhere, you've had all these experiences, it sounds so glamorous. It's just what you do in the moment. Mm-hmm. And so being in Mexico, everyone thinks so romantic, wow, you know, living in a foreign country, speaking Spanish, gorgeous, you know, cactuses and tequila mm. and sombreros. and now we're living in the massive, one of the biggest cities in the whole world, working with drug addicts, street children, who are like secondary school age and older, it's tough because they're dying because they're drug addicts and because their motor skills are affected and we're taking kids to hospital and you know we're trying to play football with them and I'm no football player just to try to get them down off the drugs for a while and then share something from the Bible with them bring them food you're dirty you know you're catching skin infections Mm. you know you're breathing the stuff that they are they're doing drugs in front of you it's
0: tough and you're probably seeing some positivity, you see some positive steps, and naturally, and with addictions, it's back to square one, and that's got to be deflating as well.
1: Totally. And so, what we were really convinced of out there was we needed not just to visit them on the streets, but to have a centre where they could come and experience so much more time away from the streets and help to sort out which ones really were desperate to get away from the streets and which ones were just playing us for mm. food and. And quite humbling as well, because in the West, we can.
0: Almost get success, and we think we're, we've done it. Whereas there, maybe you don't get the level of success, and it's it, it'd be good to rely on, on God. Well, I mean,
1: totally, we had to rely on God because I remember as a missionary, Coruba's phoning us up and saying, What do you do about this, that, and next thing? We said, Look, we just pray and we just trust and we just open the Bible up and see what God says to us. We're not trained counselors, we're not trained drug. Um, people, we're not trained bereavement people, we just have to get Mm. on with what God's called us to do. But we had brilliant Mexican brothers and sisters, some of whom are still working away with the street kids and we support them as a church. They were our examples because like we spoke really good Spanish, John, but we didn't get all the innuendo, we didn't get all the cultural references and so much stuff that we just didn't get. They did and still they loved Mm. and that was such an example for us because we were constantly learning but they loved even in spite of the foul language that sometimes we didn't pick up on and they were amazing and that was a great thing so our success if you could call it from the drop-in centre was about 40% of kids who came to the drop-in centre regularly Started to leave the streets oh, that, and get oh, jobs, that. and we were helping to pay for. That was much higher than other. Well, it was because usually, if you're trying to get them straight into a home, when they leave the streets, they're leaving a, a family that they've created with other kids, yeah. and so to leave all of that behind to have rules, regulations, you wash, you get up at this time, you do this, you do your chores, you do your schoolwork. I mean, they last a week and then they're running away back to the streets. Whereas the drop-in center helped us to really see, look, who means it. Who's sick of street life? Who's who hates it enough to wanna to get rid of it? And so yeah. That was a good way. I think the drop-in centre's been a great tool. And did you link with churches there? Or how did how did that work? There was a denomination and um, OMS had founded a, den- a denomination out there. And so we were able to go around lots of different churches there in order to be able to tell them about the work. Not everybody was interested because some of them were, you know, two hours in the bus away from where the drop-in centre was. Not everybody had a car. A lot of people were riding public transport. So it was a smaller team, some of volunteers and some who were paid staff. Okay. Yeah.
0: So Amazing. and you started your family out there.
1: We as well. we did while we were there. Um Carol got pregnant, we came back, had Tabitha, lived in Northern Ireland for a wee while to help just to we'd gone for a year to test the waters. Yeah. It was confirmed to us while we were there. That's why we went to see look, is God got this? Is, is this something we've manufactured? Does God want us to do? And he made it so obvious that it was he what he wanted us there to be part of that work. So came back, had to have it, went back over. Oscar was born out there and um, and then, so we were there for about six years. on So long, that's a long time. Yeah, yeah. And it was, it was tough because we were sick a lot, you know, lots of toilet trouble, <laughs> typically living in our You like the food though. Oh, the food was amazing. The people were incredible and they love their food and they love their families. And as Northern Irish people, we felt very at home there, even though yeah. it was desperately dangerous. And, you know, we brushed so close to, um, to the uh, people being kidnapped, and I mean, it was—it's a dangerous place to be,
0: and because a lot of the street kids they're dealers themselves aren't they yeah. so some of the guys who are kind of lording over them do you have trouble from them you know, as you know? actually no actually
1: never and the but the odd time when people come over to you like what are you doing with these kids i'm like look they're here of their own mm. volition you know we're not forcing anybody we're not holding a gun to anybody they can be here if they want to They can. but actually now it's more than ever mexico City. Um, has always been a dangerous city. Now it's becoming more and more dangerous. A lot of the drugs were up north and down in Acapulco, but now actually it's coming into the city more and more and it's a huge prayer point for okay. the drop-in centre is the danger of other people trying to come in to threaten because the street kids are being used more and more. Okay. Not so much years ago when we were there, but much more now. Okay. Yeah. And the work's still going? It's still going and actually um, I'm part of a board of directors for the work too. So it's great to still be in touch and it's great to still be able to help. Yeah. Even from a distance because giving money and praying is great. But actually being able to like we went out to visit and just let the kids see what they grew up with. Yeah.
0: It's quite good to have somebody from inside knowledge, but out the situation as well. Yeah, hopefully, yeah. hopefully, hopefully yeah. that they don't see this foreign interference. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so that was Mexico, that was six years. Spot the difference. Uh, we've decided to uh, broadcast Andrew's interview in two parts. So that's all for today. Um, so apologies for the technical issues. Um, yeah, probably need an upgrade on the technology. We are just using a phone. Um, But yeah, thanks very much for tuning in and come back next week um, for a second part of Andrew's story. Thank
1: you. Bye.